Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of We All Deserve to Eat, a space where we will share experiences and build perspective and learn together. Whatever your reason for being here, I'm happy that you found this space and thank you for joining me on this journey. Well, I hope that you're all having a great week. Thank you again for being here and joining me again uh, for another episode of We All Deserve to Eat. My name is Neil. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a high school teacher uh, from Toronto, Ontario. And uh, if you're listening here from wherever you are, uh, greetings from Canada, greetings from stage one of our, our reopening phase, our reopening plan, whatever that means. Um, if you're wondering what that means, so are we. We don't know what that means yet. Um, we just know that we're trying our best to get back to normal and uh, to normal life and what it was and uh, we're taking it day by day. So broadcasting here from Toronto, Ontario and again thank you for being here. This is episode four and today we're going to talk a lot about collaboration, uh, the idea of a team, what separates it from a group um, and the stages of a team we're going to focus on today. And in connection from last week, where we finished off our uh, ideas and, and experiences that had to do with conflict resolution, both internal and external. Conflict, we mentioned, is something that every team goes through. Every team has to go through challenges. Every team has to go through ups and downs. Um, it doesn't matter if it's sports or it's through movies or it's through business. Um, everybody at some point in a team atmosphere will go through challenges. So I wanted to start today's episode by posing a question. And the question is, can you separate or what separates a group from a team? And this is often a question that's posed in coaching situations when you're trying to bring a team together. Uh, as usual in this episode, we will be going off on tangents and experiences and stories. Uh, but I wanted you to think for a second. What separates and what are the key differences between a group and a team? And after taking a second to think about it, or writing it down however you best process your ideas, I think we can all agree that the similarities between a group and a team are demonstrating some kind of flexibility, perhaps reporting to the same, be it one or two superiors or bosses if you're in business or a coach if you're in a team, and perhaps serving one audience or one common audience with an interest that also you know, identifies with your area or your industry or your business. But I think that overall, the one characteristic, and I've said this to my teams before, is the one characteristic, and there are many, I've only listing four, and there are many, but the one characteristic is sharing one aim and understanding that the cause is greater than the individual. And where we see this best demonstrated, I feel, is in my experiences anyway, when you have at any level, amateur or professional sport, players that represent their country in a national program. You have players with different values, different backgrounds, 
different playing styles. And you can see sometimes how those clash of egos, how the clash of philosophies can disrupt harmony in the ultimate goal, which is to best represent your country and ultimately win your respective championship. And we see that a lot. Players that are notably the leaders, the go-to players, the superstars of their respective club teams or their contract teams, sometimes have to take on a second, third, fourth position in their respective position because it's for the greater good. And we see that with Team Canada in hockey, to be stereotypical. We see that in Team USA with basketball. We see that almost across the board, and especially with Euro going on right now. You see all of these players who represent their countries and perhaps have to take on different roles than what they're normally used to. And what's going to separate a group of individuals with the same jersey versus a team is that understanding that at the end of the day you have a role to play in achieving a goal that is bigger than your individual need. So in saying that, there's no question that in a team you have commitment to the goal. Once you've established that common cause, there's no, there should be very little to no doubt. And we mentioned this in conflict resolution about unanimous, a group being unanimous in their decisions, everybody being on the same page. And I think that it's important to remember that in a team, to get to that point where you can perform as one unit, there are stages that you have to go through. Some of these stages are more pivotal than others, and some of them end up making or breaking a team. And we're going to go through different scenarios, through the different stages of a team. And I'll draw on some philosophies and some examples that I've studied, I've learned, and I've often questioned even out of frustration. And then got my answers to them, you know, three movies later, or one chapter later, or, you know, one week later, whatever it may be. But in terms of stages of a team, now, people will categorize certain characteristics in certain categories differently. This is just through my experience. Like I said, it's one perspective. And please, you are more than welcome to share yours. And I'll drop my email at the end of this podcast as well. But we're going to go through five stages of a team. And the fifth stage will be more of a bonus stage, if you will, only because there are times when that stage is necessary. Um, but depending on, I guess, the experience of the team, it's more of a not casual stage, but just sort of a formality stage. But to start off, anyone who has studied leadership, and we'll get into that, and boy, do I have some stories for you next week. We will get into that next week, styles of leadership, effective styles of leadership, uh, when certain styles are most effective versus least effective. But for today, we're going to focus on, like I said, stages of a team. And the first stage that I'm going to talk about is forming. This is also known as perhaps the honeymoon stage. At this stage, there's a high dependence on your coach, on your leader, or on the organizer of that team. Why? Because the roles may be unclear, 
There may be a lot of questions that the leader must be prepared to answer. At this point, depending on your situation and on your context of your team, there may be a test of leadership. People may test boundaries, figure out what's okay, what's not okay, and we see this in education all the time. Students sometimes will test boundaries to see what they can get away with and what they can't, what the teacher just won't tolerate. And different teachers have different philosophies on what they will tolerate. For example, depending on the situation, for example, science teachers, I completely understand why food is not allowed in a science lab classroom. I happen to teach business and law. So as long as I am clear on the rules that I will not pick up after my class and that I am not their, you know, maid or, or butler or, you know, they're, they're essentially to their caregiver, that they are to clean up after themselves. But if a student is hungry in my class, I'm fortunate that I'm in a space where I can and do allow food in my class. But again, members of the team may test the philosophies, the tolerance of the leader, and see where the boundaries are. This is where it's established. Now in the forming stage as well, there could be differing opinions on how things should be done. And another experience that is more fictional and more fun based is my favorite Avengers movie in the 23 million that there are. But besides Endgame and Infinity War and where everything comes to a head, if you will, one of my favorite movies, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm just going to say it, he's my least favorite Avenger. I don't want to offend anybody, okay? It's just something I also give my US friends uh, a fun razzing about and roast them a little bit just because um, my least favorite Avenger is Captain America. There, I said it. Whatever. Okay, deal with it. Okay, don't at me here. There. It's a safe space, okay? Um, <laughs> but my favorite Avengers movie, aside from the actual Avengers series with the, with the four main ones, is Civil War. And the reason is I used to get frustrated and wonder and question out loud, how do all these superheroes with their own respective responsibilities to their own land or to their own people, with all of their different philosophies for how they keep the world safe, how is there not a clash of ego? How is there not more fighting between them on how things should be done? Because you have such an array of personalities, a vast array of experiences of how things should be done. And people like all the Avengers have been successful in their endeavors. How is there not more arguing? How is there not more uh, conflict in this team? It is a dream team, but how is there not more? And that brings me to you know why that is my favorite movie, but the second stage where it does come to a head, and that is the storming stage. This is where team members tend to vie for position. Aside from perhaps in a sports situation or a business situation where there is a designated leader, you may vie for that leadership role. Your clarity of purpose will tend to increase. Your role will be more defined. And whether or not you agree with that role and to take it on for the greater cause, that's on the individual. The team at this point, their focus of their goal will be tested. At this point, 
truly the egos will take to the forefront or tend to take to the forefront and have to be tamed and put in check in order for the overall focus and the overall big goal for it not to be lost. Okay? And in order to do this, compromises, just like any relationship, any environment you try to set up with multiple personalities and multiple experiences, there has to be a degree of compromise. Gone are the days of the Socratic method. You can even see it now. There are certain situations, of course, where an executive decision, rules are established, methods are put in place for a reason. However, the days of simply dictating information, those are gone. Those are gone. And you can see it in any team now, and you can talk about the generational gap and, oh, this generation this and this generation that. This is the reality. There are more of them than us. And I don't want to talk like I'm, I speak like I'm pivoting one generation against the next. It's on our generation to become adaptable to that. We are the ones with more life experience. We are the ones with the knowledge to pass on. We are the ones who have to then tame that passion, tame that creativity, tame those ideas, and hone them to remain focused again when there is a common goal in mind. Whether that's a classroom, whether that's an office, whether that's in an arena, wherever it is, a leader and a true team will go through this stage, but it will require compromise on all levels. At this point as well, little clicks in the teams, little factions, people become closer with one another because of common interests or common mindsets may form. It's important that Overall, even if there are common interests shared, like I've been saying, and I will continue to say throughout this entire podcast, it must remain focused on the goal. For the team not to crumble, they must remain focused on their vision and their overall long-term goal. Now, once you've made it through that stage, that stage can tend to make or break a team. And it's really on the leader to demonstrate poise and, and composure and really understand that the coach or the leader is there for the well-being of the team and also that they are focused on the greater cause. And if you make it through that stage, you will hit the stage of what's called norming. And at this point, agreement and consensus is pretty high among the team. Everybody has accepted their roles and responsibilities and more importantly, they're clear. Your role on the team is clear. You know exactly what you have to handle individually in order for this goal to be achieved. And finally, big group decisions tend to be made by, again, a unanimous decision unless it is one of those executive decisions. If it is a decision that affects the entire group, usually consensus is reached among those members. Okay. Now, at this point as well, the commitment to the goal and the team unity is evident. You are not a group working for the same company. You are not a group of individuals with the same jersey on. You are a team. You know each other on a personal level to a degree, but more importantly, your cohesion and your cohesiveness is on the same level on a professional level. And you buy into 
your leader's philosophy and methods given all the stages that you've gone through and all the challenges that you've endured throughout this process. And finally, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's the day that you present in front of the board, whether it's your interview day, whether it's your evaluation day for teaching, your team has to perform. And I know sometimes teaching is more individual and you might say, well, how do you do that? Your team is your classroom. If your kids have your respect, oh, they will have your back on evaluation day. And I get fired up thinking about that because I remember how great and how fortunate I was to have such amazing grade 12 classes. And in my first evaluation year, my first year of teaching, it could not have gone better. My grade 12s understood what was happening. They were not new to teaching evaluations, but at the same time, they helped me in a sense where they were already locked in and engaged, but just knowing that it was the evaluation day, it's almost like when a stand-up comedian does a show and perhaps a lot of friends and family are there and they'll say, you've heard jokes, definitely you'll have heard these jokes before. So the new jokes I hope you laugh at, but the jokes that you've heard before, please laugh harder because this is being taped. And it's just a fun common way What I'm connecting to that is my class was just a little bit extra in their enthusiasm and a little bit, you know, overly locked in in what they would normally be, even though they are locked in and engaged and participative and discussive. And it was just nice to know that on that day, that was something I did not have to worry about. In other situations, the performing day is the team shows up, they perform, they are working in cohesion and At this point, whether it's coaching a team or whether it's giving a presentation, there's not a whole lot of instruction going on at this point. Coaching is done now. Preparation is done. This is your time to show up. Every individual should have hopefully taken care of their situation. And this is now where we're at. And this is where you have to perform. And finally, like I said, like any team, whether it's a national team, whether it's a business team that comes together for a certain client, whether it's a classroom that stays together from September to June or August till May, or even by semester, September to December, September to January, and then February till June or January till May, whatever have you, eventually the team hits the adjourning stage. And usually for the best, with all of these new skills and all of these new experiences the group breaks up for the best there would be a natural feeling of insecurity of concern of wonder of where to go next and it's a recognition of where the team can grow vulnerabilities in the team sensitivities in your own personal growth and it's on the leader to ensure that transition is smooth back into your everyday routine when you don't have this team to report to, when you don't have this commitment level. It's important for people to understand that I've summarized going through stages of a team and collaboration in maybe 15 to 20 minutes. And some of these teams take years to build. Some of these stages take years to get through. And it's just important that again, when we separate the successful teams from the unsuccessful groups, among all the characteristics that they share, 
it's putting that common cause and that overarching goal above your individual needs and using your individual skills to help achieve that long-term or that big goal that your team has. All the skills you develop over the years, all the experiences that shape your perspective, they don't fail you in the times when you need to perform. But if those skills are not honed and are not channeled and are not harnessed into an effective channel and an effective outlet for you to be able to showcase those skills, then all you are is a mishmash of talent and potential. It's on you to ensure that you can properly utilize those skills when it comes to a team environment and when it comes to achieving a common goal that is going to better the people around you and is going to better people in your direct environment and in your future. So in saying that, I wanted to thank you very, very much for joining me again. Next week will be episode five, and we will talk about personal and professional relationships, the separation of them, and dealing with change. So if you have any questions at all, my email is weallderservedeatpodcast at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer any questions at all. And on that note, I will wish you an amazing, amazing rest of your week and a very, very good night. Thank you again for joining me on this journey. Have a great, great rest of your evening.